Well, if you're sad, depressed now, I'm not sure what to do for you. <laughs> Darlene, you want to come share first, and then we'll pray? And some of them are just insane, insurmountable. People can't help. The world can't help. Government can't help. But if you're facing something, I felt like the Lord wanted me to give you the scripture. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Kind of puts things into perspective. Well, Father, we just thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for... Uh, for this music that has set our hearts aglow. Oh, our joy does come in the morning. And Father, your love never fails. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us walk in that to an even greater level than we may already be. Help us to really get that. We just don't get it a lot of the time. And so, Lord, I just, we ask your forgiveness and we ask for greater understanding. So we lift the rest of this time up to you and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I will, uh, I will do my best next week to see if I can't make the music a little more eclectic. <laughs> Sorry? Red? <laughs> oh, yeah. We're not going to do that. <laughs> not now, not never. All right, so. Writer David Briggs offers a moving meditation on what he learned from his father's example. David's father was an ordinary man who lived an ordinary life, working at a screen printing co company in New Haven, Connecticut. But David was permanently shaped by his father's example of humble faith and faithfulness. He writes this. Before I was old enough to go to school, he often took me into work with him on Saturdays. I watched him as he swept the floor before he began, and soon I had that job. He was hired to sweep floors, and even after he became president of the company or worked on projects for famous clients, it was important to him not to lose sight of the dignity of all work. Faith was just a part of his life. Some of the best memories I had from childhood were attending midweek or Sunday worship services or the adventure of walking together down a long hill with snow up to my chest during a heavy storm to be greeted by a surprised pastor on Sunday morning. My dad would not miss Sunday worship. And where there might have been self-pity, there was joy in his life. And still there was something more. I did not really pick up on it at first, but as the years went by, I noticed my father would not speak a bad word about others. 
At the dinner table, he talked about customers who defrauded him by asking for large amounts of work in advance and skipping out on payments. But there was never talk of revenge or fighting back. He just said he would no longer deal with them. For almost my entire time growing up, a lot of it during the 1960s, when racial tensions boiled over in cities like New Haven, he delivered food once a month to the poor in the city, telling me when I came along to stay in the car while he walked up to the top floor of apartment complexes to make sure families received their groceries. In a letter to my father as he lay dying, I spoke of our walk to church during the snowstorm, but I told him the lesson he taught me about faith came from seeing you live your life. You genuinely loved everybody. My father was born into poverty, lived a humble life, and died in bleak, spare surroundings reserved for veterans with limited resources. He was a Christmas and Easter story combined, testifying that true happiness lies within us. So what do I want to do with the rest of my life? I want to be like my father. You see, faith can be a powerful influencer in our life if we will learn to walk in it every day. And we're going to look at the life today of someone who did just that, a man you may be familiar with. His name was Moses. And we're going to look at it through the lens, not of Exodus or uh, one of the Old Testament books, but through the lens of Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the famous Hall of Faith Hall of Fame chapter. So let's dive right in. We're going to look in, we're in Hebrews 11, and this is verses 23 through 26. So it starts off by saying, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So verse 23 reveals that Moses' faith actually began with his courageous parents. Moses' life was spared as an infant because of the faith of his parents who hid him for three months. And this was in defiance of the Pharaoh's edict to kill all the Hebrew male babies at birth. And so at the cost of very great personal risk, Moses' parents had faith in God for not only their, but their son's deliverance. And the author cites two explanations for this act of faith by Moses' parents. Now, first, they hid him because it says that he was no ordinary child. Now, the word that is used here in Hebrews in the Greek literally means beautiful or strikingly attractive. And when Stephen, in Acts uh, chapter 7, when Stephen was before the uh, group of Jewish leaders who ultimately would stone him to death, he describes Moses using that very same word, fair in the sight of God. And so these two passages really indicate that Moses, even as he was an infant, still he had some, some kind of discernible favor relating to, God, to God's as yet unforeseen promises to Israel. And because Moses' parents had some inkling that he was a son of destiny, they were willing to risk their own lives and God's vocational purpose for him. 
Now, according to Josephus, and this is uh, not scripture, but Josephus was a Jewish writer of the first century who wrote a history of the Jews. Uh, it was called Antiquities. And according to Josephus, God's given revelation about this was communicated to Moses' father, whose name was Amran, uh, in a night vision. So that's what Josephus reports, not in scripture, but um, a reli fairly reliable uh, first century history book. And, and second, Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, if their defiance had been discovered, um, the penalty would have been extremely severe, probably death under a ruler that was despotic like uh, the Pharaoh was. But nevertheless, instead of being afraid, they just trusted God with their lives and again with the life of their son. And so their faith in God's power to accomplish whatever his sovereign purposes were gave them this fearless courage to act, not only righteously, but against the king's edict. And it's just as I was working on this, sort of a side note to parents and grandparents sort of came into my mind. And that is the thing that, the idea that, you know, you can't pass along your faith to your children and grandchildren the way um, that you do other family traits. You know, I can't get, I, my son's tall like I am, but I can't give him my faith. But, but, you can certainly create an atmosphere of faith at home and be an example to your children and your grandchildren. Verse 24 and 5. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Moses grows up, becomes an adult, and at that point makes a deliberate choice to leave the comfort of living in the Pharaoh's palace, living as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. So somehow Moses must have known that God had called him to something greater and obviously difficult for him to do. Uh, because, I mean, I don't have any firsthand experience, but I can imagine the splendor of the Egyptian court at that time was pretty amazing. And he chooses to leave that and to basically cast his lot with these, this people that's kept in slavery. And so we, we get a glimpse of the great faith that he had through th this difficult decision that he had to make. And the tense of the verb that's used here, refused, indicates that it was a specific act of choice, that he refused this. This wasn't just a, a snap decision by a rebellious teenager or a de decision that was made kind of impulsively that he's going to later regret. He, he fully understood what he was doing. And undoubtedly, this future leader of Israel had pondered a lot about this oppressive policy that Pharaoh had against the Hebrew people, and he must have come to the decision that it was just morally wrong. And so he understood full well that his position as this favored son, uh, this position of power and aristocracy, as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, had to be at stake in this. 
And yet, as an act of faith and good conscience, he decides to give it all up and to throw his lot in with his own oppressed people. And, you know, by anybody else's standards, this was stupid. <laughs> okay? Really? I mean, if the world looks at this, they're going to say, Moses, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? But the world doesn't think the way God thinks. And the world doesn't really think the way people of faith ought to think. Because Stephen indicates this again in Acts 7, Moses' faith includes this very firm conviction that God was calling him to rescue his people. See, all of a sudden it occurs to me, I'm sure there must have been people that thought I was stupid when I left the job I had to come do this. <laughs> like, what? What are you doing? Now, no, no one actually said that to me. But I'll bet you they thought it. <laughs> I'm sure probably Moses' friends in the palace thought it was stupid. But see, Moses was looking ahead to something. He understood the difference between spiritual treasure that lasts forever and earthly treasure and pleasure that is fleeting and temporary. Can just be gone here today, gone tomorrow, literally. I mean, all it takes for a lot of people is the stock market to have a really bad day. Gone. So, kind of look at the rest of this earth. So in what sense can we say that Moses suffered for the sake of Christ? That's always an intriguing statement because Moses obviously didn't know Jesus. It could mean that he received the same type of per persecution that Jesus later received. But more likely, probably the writer of Hebrews, who we normally think of as Paul, was being... Uh, thought of Christ as being identified with some of the suffering saints of the Old Testament. His, Moses' faith is what moved him to sort of just refuse to reject this privileged life that he had and instead choose to identify with, with suffering. It's true faith is what causes us as believers to hold firm to right values and to make right decisions. All right, then verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. We just kind of talked about this. His great secret was that he was looking ahead to the promises of God. I mean, this entire chapter, the entirety of chapter 11 basically teaches that the promises of God are not going to be really received, fully received at least, until after we die. And for Moses, this promise, even though it was never fulfilled in his life, but the promise of receiving the promised land and salvation was better than all the treasures of Egypt, which were basically at his fingertips. It's here that Moses illustrates that faith requires individuals to put their own desires aside for the sake of Jesus. 
we're motivated by something greater. And because the reward was going to come from God, Moses was willing to suffer. Now, as we said, Moses didn't personally know Jesus, but he suffered for the sake of doing God's will and for the sake of proclaiming God's way of redemption to the Hebrews. And because this whole history of salvation and redemption continues from that, those people in the Old Testament on through to Jesus, Moses' suffering is linked in that way to the cause of Christ. And so, you know, this endurance of Moses, it wasn't a natural gift, because we know from Scripture that Moses was kind of a hesitant and retiring guy. You know, he wasn't a real bold, you know, in-your-face sort of guy. He didn't even really want to do what God was calling him to do. He was trying to get his brother involved. Here, God, this is the better of the two of us, so God didn't buy it. But the endurance and courage that he had came as a reward of his faith. So, what is, you know, it's not a long passage of scripture, but what do we get from this? Well, I think, you know, if you, there's a big idea, it's the decisions that you make in faith honor God. The decisions that you make in faith honor God. Well, how so? How do, how do those decisions honor God? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to understand that faith conquers fear. It's important, I think, to understand in this context is that it's by faith that the people of God have overcome their fears. See, even at the time of, of this, that this letter was being written, many of the Christians in the Roman Empire, the, their king's edict would naturally evoke a deep fear. And you probably didn't need to be a prophet to realize that maybe this grace period that they had for a while was going to go away. And that eventually is exactly what happened, that the Christians weren't tolerated any, any longer and they began to be persecuted. But the example of this believing husband and wife who took great risks, even with their treasured child, wouldn't be without some special appeal to these first century people that Paul was writing to. And as I thought about this, I said, well, what if you looked at this from a different perspective? And if you did, what you could say is that fear demonstrates a lack of faith. Scripture tells us that God, that God will provide for our every want. Yes? Not every need. Excuse me. Every need, not every want. Let's be clear on that. God will provide for our every need, not our every want. Yeah, this, I, my name is not Joel Osteen. It also tells us that God works, we sang this just a few minutes ago, God works all things together for our good, but we tend to leave this part out, for those who are called according to his purpose. All right, don't stop halfway through that sentence. Don't stop there. 
So listen, so if you really, truly, deep down in your core, believe those two passages of Scripture, if you really believe that God will provide for your needs and that God will work all things together for your good if you are called according to his purpose, what in the world would you be afraid about? Seriously, I'm not being facetious here. What would you, if you believe that, what would you be afraid of? A job loss? A marital problem? A wayward child? An illness? Financial issues? An upcoming exam? I'm not saying don't address the issue, okay? So hear that. You know, if you're sick, you go to a doctor. If you have marital problems, you go see a counselor. It's not that you don't do anything. It's just that you're not to be afraid of whatever happens. You pray, you seek advice and counsel. If you have financial issues, you stop spending so much. If you have a test, you should study. but you do all of it in faith. Let's start living from a place of faith in all areas of not only our life, but our ministry too. And we're gonna to get to that more here in a minute. So first of all, understand that faith conquers fear. What else? Faith determines your priorities. You see, life circumstances may be unfair. Really, Jeff, no kidding. But it's your right of refusal that will determine what steps you take. You see, Moses in this text demonstrates that his actions in identifying with God's people show that he placed the eternal above the temporal. Now, it's easy to be deceived by the temporary benefits of things like wealth, and popularity, and status, and achievement. And in doing so, you end up being blind to the long-range benefits of the kingdom. How many Christians today do you think would choose personal sacrifice or oppression rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin? Want to raise your hands? It was rhetorical. Faith is what helps us look beyond the world's value system to see the eternal values of God's kingdom. You have to choose friends and careers and lifestyles that please God. All right? So we have to ask ourselves, what are, what are my priorities? You want to know a secret? It's an easy question to answer. Three questions will tell you what your priorities are. What do you think about? Where do you spend your time? And where do you spend your money? So look at your calendar, your checkbook register, and then what, whatever else you're thinking about. Those are your priorities. And so I ask, is your faith determining your priorities?
And then finally, faith advances the gospel. You see, Moses reckoned that his sacrifice was worthy of the cause of justice in God's eyes. So he thought, this is worth it. So how valuable is the gospel to you? What price would you be willing to pay in order that God's fame reach the nations? Or let's even scale that back a little bit, reach the neighborhood. Let's make it real. You see, in the context of this church's renewed mission to make more disciples and to impact the kingdom for Jesus, what is keeping you from advancing the gospel? Rejection? Scorn? Humiliation? I think I hear Jesus saying, welcome to my world. Now these aren't exact statistics, but they're fairly straightforward and, and honest, I believe. And so I, I feel comfortable in saying that 100% of the people you do not invite to church won't come. <laughs> Rumor has it, so I hear, that some think I don't give an invitation often enough for people to come to faith. To that I will say this, bring someone new to church and I promise you that they will not leave without having the opportunity to give their life to Jesus. One hundred percent of the people that you don't pray for healing will not be healed. Now you may have noticed that we've made a few changes in the sanctuary, that the, the, the lovely pallet sculpture in back is blank. Well, in a very short amount of time, that is going to become our wall of testimonies. And so anyone that has a story about someone that they've brought to faith, someone that they've prayed for, something even that's happened to them, sort of a God story sort of thing, we want you to write it out and we're going to put it up there. So that it's up there, everyone can go read. Because see, testimonies build faith. When you hear stories of what God is doing somewhere else, it builds your faith to think, well, you know what? That person's no different than me, really. And if God does it for them, why wouldn't he do it for me? You know, I might just try that now. I'll go so far as to say that every one of us should have at least one story on that board by this time a year from now. Everybody. Just saying. Do you put your faith into action in such a way that the gospel of Jesus Christ advances into your sphere of influence? And we all have one. We all have people, whether they're friends or co-workers or acquaintances or whatever, that's your sphere of influence. People you run into in the grocery store, that's part of your sphere of influence. Are you advancing the gospel into your sphere of influence?
I want you to think about some things this week as we look at our faith in action points. The first is, what have you inherited from those before you in terms of faith issues? See, sometimes our faith can be influenced by others, perhaps parents, siblings, and, and really can be influenced negatively. And so are there, is there anything that you're believing or not believing that is a result of your heritage, your family, or whatever that you might need to address that could end up being a hindrance against what God may want to use you for in the future? Second, what aspects of God's purpose for your life requires your immediate attention and obedience? What is God telling you to do? And you're going, I don't think so. That little newsflash for you, he will not give up. <laughs> so you might as well go ahead and give in now. It'll be a lot more enjoyable in the long run. Third, is there anything in your life that needs to be refused in order that God may work a greater purpose? Is there something that you just need to let go of and say, that's it, enough. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just going to refuse that thing in my life and I'm going to focus on what God wants for, for me from now on. And this is the one I like a lot. Do you consider the reward ahead of you as sufficient motivation for adopting Christ's mindset as described in Philippians 2? And just to refresh your memory, because I probably have forgotten Philippians 2. It says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Is the reward that the gospel promises sufficient motivation for you to think like that? At the beginning of this service, we sang a song that's titled, We've Come This Far By Faith. Now, it's a song that I grew to love uh, in the time that I was attending chapel every Saturday morning at Virginia Union University. We always had a chapel service that was part of our class schedule. And uh, there was a, a volunteer choir 
that was led by their choir director. And that was the, one of the songs we sang quite frequently, and it really grew on me. I really came to love it. And I think it's, it's wonderful and entirely, it is a wonderful and entirely appropriate thing to do to reflect on how far faith has gotten us, all of us. We have come this far by faith. But don't spend all your time doing that. Let's look into the future and ask the question, how far can we go by faith? How far could faith take us if we were to really have faith and believe and trust in God to do all the things that he says he will do if we will just be obedient and do what he tells us? which is to go and reach this world for Jesus Christ. And I think the answer to that question, how far can we go by faith, is as far as we will allow God to take us. I want you all to understand something. When, if I'm coming across as, as berating you or any other kind of a negative term, please, that's not my intent at all. But if the Holy Spirit's conviction is climbing all over you, good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because that's what this is all about. We're here to do what God wants us to do. Can't, God would be thrilled if every seat in this place were filled and we had to start, well, it would be long before that, but we would have already started making plans to have a second service. That's doing kingdom business. That's being led by the Spirit. That's living by faith. Because the only way that happens, folks, is if you take an active role in this and start inviting friends and neighbors and people you meet on the street. I'm going to brag on someone for a minute. You all know my friend Harvey here. Harvey, of course, is uh, my son's father-in-law, my daughter-in-law's father, and he's become a friend. Um, he and his wife, Kathy, have become a, a good friend to us. And I want to tell you something. I've been around Harvey a number of times, and if there's other people there, it takes him about all of a minute and a half to start telling someone what a wonderful church this is. We were at an event this week, and like I said, about 90 seconds in, he's telling folks next, sitting next to him what a wonderful church this is. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, if everyone in the church would do that, we'd be turning folks away. And he does it with such a passion. It's almost embarrassing especially if I'm there and he starts to, you know, mention I'm the pastor, I'm, I'm sitting there going, how much do they think I paid him to say this? 
so that's the mindset, right? That's where we need to get to. That's what I'm trying to encourage you in. I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I'm not angry at all. I just want us to reach our potential. And we've been foundering a little bit. But we're working on that. And we're going to keep working on that. So look, ask God for those opportunities. Ask God to show you who, who am I supposed to who am I supposed to, you know, show me who I'm going to encounter today. You know, when we, we um, in the School of Kingdom Ministry, um, we refer to those as treasure hunts. You know, where you pray, you know, Lord, show me who I'm to encounter today. And so you just take some time, you get quiet, and, you know, God maybe tells you something, shows you a picture. You know, of course, many of you heard uh, Bobby's story about, you know, the guy that looked like he was straight from out of Duck Dynasty that she had this picture of, and then she drives to work, and there he is in the parking lot. And all that, you know, came out of that. Um, so I'm not going to repeat all that, but that's what we're talking about. So just, you know, take a moment in the morning. Lord, who do you want me to meet today that I'm supposed to share with? And then be open and be bold and jump in there. You know, when that, when you feel like, okay, just follow the nudge. It's all you have to do is follow the nudge. All right, well, we're going to go into our uh, time of experiencing God now. We're going to do things a little bit differently than we've done in the past. Uh, I would like for a, a couple of people to go on the sides um, to, uh, that are released to pray to be available just for regular prayer if you have any kind of a need that uh, would, you would feel would benefit from prayer, strongly encourage you to go see one of them. But, I ask John and Andre to come up now. We could turn the lights down. Struck me at a point last Sunday that, um,